0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Jez, for sharing that. Sometimes uh, when God really lays something on your heart to share, it can be scary to share it, but scarier not to. And so um, I trust that God would encourage you in your faithfulness this morning. Hey, listen, guys, We, uh, we are still in. You know, our study in Exodus, as you can very well see. And uh, we're actually in chapter 12. Uh, last week, we were actually dealing with the, the ninth plague of Egypt, right? And it was the plague of darkness. And darkness had enveloped Egypt. But uh, we read in the scripture where it says, but there was still light with the Hebrews, right? And Goshen, there was still light. And... Uh, uh, and we touched on that and we made some applications there. And, and we, we ultimately found ourselves with Moses in a conversation with Pharaoh wanting him to relinquish all of their assets so they could go and worship God because Moses said to him, we need our livestock, right? Because we don't, it's not just our, 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 our people that we need. We need our possessions too because we don't know what God's going to ask of us. And we, we talked about that, right? Right? You know, sometimes serving God, we don't know what God is going to ask us to do, where God is going to ask us to go. The, the, the responsibility that you and I have is to push everything to the center of the table and say, I'm all in. Remember, we, we spoke about that. An all in life is what God has called us to. Not this half-hearted, you know, commitment idea, you know, a partially committed. I don't even know. I mean, that's an oxymoron in itself. Isn't it? I'm, I'm partially committed. You know, the, and and God has called us to an all-in life, and the response that Pharaoh gave to Moses was one of of hatred, bitterness, resentment. Remember, he says to Moses, he said, "The next time I see your face, you're a dead man." Remember that? We talked about that. Pretty stout response uh, to Moses, and then Moses in chapter 11 responds back to him with what God had already said in Moses' heart, and that was this, the 10th plague is coming. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, we're finally at the 10th plague, right? And so that was the word that God had said in the heart of Moses, and he was to give that, deliver that uh, to Pharaoh, and he does, and he says to Pharaoh, everyone, whether it be yourself, your officials, your slaves, everyone. Every Egyptian home is going to suffer because God is sending the plague of the firstborn. Everyone will suffer under this, and it's because of you. And remember what the Scripture says. It said that God had given Moses a favor. He was favorably disposed towards the Egyptians. Remember that? They they liked Moses. And even the officials of Pharaoh were disposed favorably towards Moses. And the scripture said that after Moses uh, uh, imparted this knowledge to Pharaoh, that he literally was burning with anger. Right? And I touched on one of the reasons he may very well be burning with anger in that response. And it was simply because many of these Egyptians who admired him, respected him, many of the officials who admired him and respected him would suffer cataclysmic loss in their own lives. Right, As a matter of fact, what we know was that God had said that uh, the Hebrews would ask for silver and gold. And even these people who in that very night would suffer the loss of their firstborn child was going to supply the needs of of the Hebrews by giving to them these articles of silver and gold. And so here is Moses knowing because of Pharaoh's decision making it was going to cost these people severely. The incredible thing about it was these people ultimately end up losing their firstborn. They ultimately end up giving articles of silver and gold to the Hebrews as they exodus Egypt. But you know what a lot of them do? A lot of them go with Moses. A lot of them leave Egypt as well. A lot of them followed Moses and the teachings of the Hebrews. After. And so that's kind of where we're at today. We're at that, that point where this, this interaction and this response between uh, uh, Moses and, and Pharaoh... Uh, was taking place there in chapter 11. So we're going to look at chapter 12, and we're going to pray right now because what I really believe is God has already begun to kind of move things this morning. I believe God is dealing with the hearts of people, and I believe people this morning, So people are going to have to make some decisions this morning. And I'm telling you, you know, every time we gather in a place like this, decisions are being made. The lack of a decision is a decision made. And so what I'm going to pray for right now is that we would put ourselves in that place where we're pliable, Michael, in the hands of God, saying, saying, whatever God wants to mold and make me into, I'm willing to give myself to that. Father, in Jesus' name, we're about to open your word. We want your word undefiled. We want your word rich and, and pure, We want your word presented in power, Lord, in a manner that can shift and change the course of our lives and the course of the lives of those around us. That type of an influence is what we're wanting, a kingdom influence. Your influence to flow into our lives and into the lives of other people. Oh God, open our hearts and our minds this morning. Open our hearts and our minds this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to kind of work through this. We're not going to cover everything in Exodus chapter 12, and I will say this, because we're going to read a large portion of this scripture, I will say this, if you really want to get into some things... If you really want to really dig into some scripture, you check out Exodus chapter 12 and its correlation and its connection to the person of Jesus. I'm telling you, you'll spend all day long in there, man. You know what I'm talking about, Reuben? I mean, there's stuff in there that it'll take you days and weeks to chew your way through. We're not going to be able to address every bit of that, okay? And be thankful that we're not. But this morning, we are going to touch on some things that I think are pertinent to each and every one of us, the things that God has touched me with this week that I've been uh, having to deal with, uh, today I give it to you and allow you to deal with these things. Amen? We can do that, right? Okay, let's look at this scripture in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Now let's, let's look at a couple of things right here. At the very onset of this scripture, this morning, the very first thing God establishes is a completely new beginning. He literally says right here in the very first verse, He says, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. He's literally saying from this point on, This experience that you're about to have is going to be the catalyst for a brand new beginning. This will be what you measure everything against. This will be the first month of your year. This thing right here is where everything will move from. Are you with me? Let me say this to you guys, my brothers and my sisters is that I do believe that if we're open to God and the thing that God's wanting to do in our lives, He too can give you and I a completely new beginning. I mean a fresh start, the ultimate reboot, if you will. You know what I'm talking about? He's willing to do it. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, when we look at the Scripture, when Jesus talks about being born again, that is the ultimate reboot the born-again experience. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians describes it like this, Josh. He's talking about the ultimate reboot. This is how he describes it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know what he's saying? Old things have passed away. There's been a reboot. That's what he's saying. You've been rebooted if you are in Christ. And this is what God is saying to his children at this point that I'm going to do a new thing. We're going to start this thing all over. And I'm telling you, man, some of you need to be started over, right? Sometimes we get in those places in our life, man, and we're thinking, I need a reboot. I need to unplug things. I need to shut things down. I need a restart. And that's what God is doing right here for his children. And then he goes on and he says this. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for, his, for each household. You see that? One for each household. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop right here. I just want to say this to you guys. This is God's plan to reboot things. Where does God start in rebooting things? He starts with the man of the house. Now, listen, this isn't, a, this isn't an endowment of authority. I'm, I'm not that cat man, that preacher who's talking about her, you know, wives submit to an abusive husband and this nonsense. That's not what I'm talking about. This isn't a place in a posture of, of, uh, of authority. This is a place in a posture of responsibility. And he literally is saying, this is where the reboot starts. With each father, each household, each family. And here we are in the church, and man, I'm just being honest with you. Man, we look out there, man. We're we're looking at the world through this prism, and we're looking, we're thinking, man, that's a jacked-up world out there. There's some things out there, man, that are really shady going on. You know what I'm talking about? What we need to be doing is instead of uh, casting our vision out there into a world that we're not necessarily responsible for that, we need to be casting our vision into our own homes, Reuben. We need to be starting there. We as men, as leaders of our home, that is the very first place of responsibility that we have. We need to be measuring whether or not we as an individual are leading our home in a manner that's going to protect them. That's going to nurture them. That's going to lead them into a deeper experience with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is the building block. That is the starting point. Okay. He says, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. Now, I love this. I love what it doesn't say. It never says, knows it doesn't say, if the lamb is inadequate, diminish the amount of people that are in the household. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you've got more lamb than you can consume, then you need to be inviting people into your home. And you need to consume this lamb. You know what I'm talking about? That, As a matter of fact, In modern Israel today, you're not even allowed to share the Passover unless there are 10 people within your household. You know what that means? It means if your family's only got five, you better go out there and drag some people in off the streets before you start breaking bread. That's literally what it's saying, that you cannot officially have Passover unless you have at least 10 people to consume this Passover. So he doesn't say if the lamb is inadequate. He's saying if the number of people, if the number of people is so diminished, then invite other people because the Lamb is adequate. Let me say this to you. Let me drop this on you. Jesus is adequate. Gee, listen, Jesus, the scriptures paint a picture of Jesus as being more than enough. Right? I love, I love what 1 John chapter 2 verse 2 says. Listen to this. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? Mine and yours. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Literally, he's literally saying right here John is saying Jesus is adequate enough to meet Kim's needs, Dennis's needs, Marissa's, Kevin's, Ricky's, Sandra's, Jay's, Janny's, Jim, Jennifer. Ronnie, I can go on and on. I'll throw Gabe in there, right? I mean, Jesus is adequate to meet the needs of every individual that is in this sanctuary, every individual that is not in this sanctuary. And then the scripture goes on, and this is one of these, these questions that you and I have to really wrestle through, okay? Check this out. He says, if you are to determine the amount You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Did you get that? Let me ask this, in connection to that scripture. How much of Jesus do you really want? You want Sunday morning Jesus? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Coming in here, sitting in here, singing a few songs. Is that the Jesus you want? You want a little bit of Monday Jesus? Have you ever tried Tuesday Jesus? You ever got a slice of Wednesday Jesus? How about some Thursday Jesus? How about some of that Good Friday Jesus? What about that Sabbath, Saturday Jesus? The question for you and me in relation to that scripture if it's being provided and he's enough how much do you really want and you know the thing that I can't answer for you I don't know what your appetite is I mean some of us man you would think we've taken spiritual appetite suppressants you know what I'm talking about man we strung out on spiritual ephedrine you know what I'm talking we're losing spiritual weight constantly Man, we need to get off some of those suppressing uh, uh, type activities and things in our lives and grow and, 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 and literally uh, work and, and, and foster a healthy appetite for God. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've been more hungry? Then why are you not asking why? If I've been hungrier for God than I am now, Why? Can I not, can I not reach out and take a hold of that same appetite? The scripture literally says this. In John chapter 6, it says this. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Meaning, no matter how hungry you are for me, I'm an ample supply. You know, there's times that my wife will, cook a, a, a big hearty meal, and, and, and there's just a two or three of us there at the house, and, and, and I may not know that she's cooked that big hearty meal, and so on the way home, David, I might just slide in a Dairy Queen and grab me a double cheeseburger. I might even hey, go ahead and throw me a little, a small Reese's cup, a blizzard. Okay, I confess, I'm lying. Give me a large one. That's what I'm ordering. Give me a large Reesey Blizzard. And then all of a sudden I slide in our house. She's got all this food laid out. And, and she's like, are you hungry? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, but then I leave this delicacy that she has prepared for me because I have what? I have taken my hunger and I have satisfied it with sweet junk that has no nourishment for my body. And it's the exact, and she gets offended, and rightfully so. Why? Because this meal that she has prepared is an expression of her love for me, and I don't even partake in it. Why? Because I'm out eating junk food. And here is Jesus who has given himself, laid himself out there as the bread of life, and we're out here eating spiritual blizzards, and then when the time comes to consume the nutrition for our soul, we're like, I'm bloated. (laughs) I'm bloated. Too many carbs. Too many spiritual carbs. And you know what ends up happening? We eat up, consume all these spiritual carbs. We end up having these sugar crashes. Have you ever had a spiritual sugar crash? Hmm. This is what he says. Let's continue to read. He says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. That's the 14th day of uh, Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish calendar. Okay? When all the members of the community of Israel must be slaughtered or must slaughter them at twilight, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides of, and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Literally saying all of it. Do not leave any of it it until morning if some is left till morning, you must burn it. This wasn't a, a some meal that was to be converted later to, to, a, to a, uh, what we would consider what? Leftovers. What he was saying was this provision that I'm giving you isn't a leftover thing. It is designed and prepared to be consumed. I like Leftovers but not spiritual leftovers. Yeah. And then he says this. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Hey Amen. This wasn't this wasn't the dress attire for leisure. Right? And this this was the dress attire for leaving. that's what he's saying do you hear what he's saying he said basically he's saying eat this meal standing up eat this meal getting ready to go understand we're about to we're about to exit this property and what I'm preparing for you isn't for just leisure but for leaving and you and I have got to understand right as we're following Christ, our relationship with Jesus is some, isn't some leisurely component that's been added uh, in addition into our lives like club volleyball or club baseball or AAU basketball or Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or this group or that group. It's not some leisurely activity that God would say to us, well, if you get time for me... Try to slide over here and spend a little time with me. Let's see if we can't notch out a 30-minute window of your time and see if we can't get together. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture doesn't teach that. And that's what Moses is saying to these guys. What God has provided for you, it is an exit strategy. You need to be prepared. And you and I need to be prepared. Right? Right? And then the Scripture says this. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You know what he was saying right there? This is a provision that God was making for them. This is the Lord's Passover. This isn't something you've conjured up. This isn't something that your emotions led you to. This is the Lord's Passover. This is my provision for you. And God has also provided for you and me a Passover. The scripture clearly teaches that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says this, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new, uh, you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And when Moses says to them, cats, Hey, guys, this is the Lord's Passover. Take this serious. I say to you today, Jesus is the Lord's Passover for you and I. Take this serious. Take this serious. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt. And strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring, bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be, be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now here's the crazy thing about this. Blood's being shed everywhere. You realize that, right? Every Egyptian home, the firstborn of livestock and their children's blood will be shed. There wasn't a household in all of Egypt, whether it be Hebrew or Egyptian, that there wasn't blood shed. The only difference, the only difference is that the blood that was shed in the Hebrew homes was a substitution that God had provided for them. Right, Reuben? It's a substitution. He understands the scripture clearly teaches in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and the acts of the flesh, that being sin and rebellion, must be paid for by the blood. He doesn't abandon that principle. This is a true principle from the very beginning. And he's saying this is going to be a requirement. Let me say this to you. Of every plague that had taken place, Up to this point, the Hebrew children were passive spectators and observers. Are you with me? Passive spectators and observers. But in this situation, this situation, that would not be the case. God is now saying to them, there's a responsibility upon you. There's a role in this that you must play. You and I have experienced what we know to be in the church, uh, something called uh, prevenient grace. I don't want to get all theological on you, and, you know, but what, what it really means is the grace that goes before us. Now, you've experienced grace that's gone before you before you ever knew Jesus, right? Now, let, I better get some rights, because I know your life, I know the jacked-up mess you came out of. Believe me, there was some prevenient grace protecting you. There was Kevin, you better come clean, Jack. I know you. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, each and every one of us have experienced it, whether we acknowledge or not, the preventative grace of God, Ronnie. You know, before we knew Jesus, the grace that protected us, Felicia, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know what I'm talking about? You know the grace, man, when you look back after becoming a believer, you look back and you like, you start chewing your nails. You're like, ah, how in the world? That was God. And that's what they had experienced through the first nine plagues was the preventing grace, meaning the protection of God from the plagues without any action upon of, of their own. They were just benefactors of His grace, but not here. Not here. God is saying to them, this is what you must do, fathers. This is, and listen, if they wanted their homes to survive, it took an act of faith to go out there, slaughter that lamb, and to put that blood on the bl- on the post doorpost. Had they not responded in faith and did that, even in those Hebrew homes, there would have been dead children, because God isn't a man <laughs> that can lie. And he said, "When I see the blood, I'll pass over." If the blood isn't there. So this was an act of faith. This was something they were involved in. Responsible for. And he says this. This is a day you are to commemorate. This new beginning. For the generations to come you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. A lasting ordinance. This new beginning. Affecting generations. Generations. For seven days you are to eat bread without yeast. Now you know what yeast represents, right? Yeast represents, you know in the New Testament Jesus talks about the yeast of the Pharisees. You know what I'm talking about, sin. You know what yeast does, don't you? You know the difference in unleavened bread and and leavened bread? Once once yeast or leaven is introduced into the dough, uh, the fermenting process begins, or what I might say to you, the deterioration process begins. Are you with me? And God is saying to him, and it also that yeast, that leaven when introduced, it's what causes the, 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 the dough to rise, right? The bread to rise. But it takes time. God is saying to them, you ain't got time. We ain't got time to wait for the leaven or the yeast. Let's read, let's, let's read on. Then he says, <clears throat> this is what he says, and understand what yeast represents. Because I'll, I'll say this to you. Yeast, leaven, sin, kind of works like this. A little dab would do it. You know what I mean? A little dab will just flat jack you up. And there's times, man, that you can't see it. You do a really good job of hiding it. It's like taking that white can of paint and you drop it, a little black dot in there, and you steer it all up. And then you look and you say, well, there's no black paint in there. Oh, it's in there. And believe me, it's had an effect on the remainder of that pain. And when you check at a, a molecular level, I guarantee you, I guarantee you it would be found and measured. Yeast has the same way. Sin has the same effect. Man, just a little bit in your relationship, a little bit of it in your marriage, a little bit in, 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 in your life, in your relationship, with a little, man, it has a jarring effect, a contaminating effect. A distance creating effect. And Moses says to them, For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. You know what he goes on to say? Check this out. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. You know why he says this? Because the reality is this. If the yeast is there, the potential for using it becomes greater. How many times, man, has God said to you, be honest. You need to get rid of that root. Why is it even in your house? Why is it even in your life? Why why is this snare that continues to rise up in your life, in your relationship, that continues to cause you to fail, to falter, to come up short, why do you allow that to stay in your life? And we convince ourselves, well, we're not going to participate in that stuff anymore, so we're just going to put it over here in the corner. But what we know is when we wake up in the mornings or in the evenings when we we arrive at home, that thing that we've placed in the corner begins to call out to us. You know what I mean? I've talked to young men. I've talked to old men. And I'm just going to be straight with you, be clean with you. I've talked to guys who have wrestled and struggled with pornography and this, that. And I asked them, I said, why do you got a phone? Why do you got a computer? You, there was a time you didn't have a computer. There's a time you didn't have a phone. Why do you, if that element becomes a hijacking factor in your life and that becomes the snare, if that becomes the yeast or the leaven, Jack, get it out of your house. What kind of a cost is that when you consider the price you have to pay? The convenience of internet access at your fingertips is worth the spoilage of embracing that nonsense that will deteriorate you and eat you alive. But that phone cost me $500. What profit a man to gain the world loses so? I don't care if it cost you $1,000, I don't care if you've got seven MacBooks. If that's the thing, if that becomes a catalyst in destroying and hijacking your life, man, that stuff needs to be on the garbage pile. Trent, move on. I, can, I see people out there like, Trent, you know I got a MacBook. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> okay, okay. And we're, we're moving through. We're going to read this portion. We're closing. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. Forever whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. And another one on the seventh day, do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. And then he goes on he says this. Now we're getting into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, we're moving quickly. Celebrate the festival of unleavened Bread because it was on the very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. He's saying, it's now. We're, We're leaving. Now. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You know what he's saying? Remember. Remember this. Remember what I'm doing. 430 years you've been here. Remember this. I'm not really sure what happens to us when we forget. You know when I, when I start to see people becoming a little calloused, a little cold, a little frozen, it typically coincides with some memory loss. You know what I mean? Some forgetting of what God has done. And I think about everything that God has done for me, Jay, and God's done a bunch. I've I've attested that. I've shared that, you know, to you know to your suffering ears many, many times. Right? And from time to time, Miss Kathy, I just sit by myself and I just remember. I remember what it was like, Jim, at 18 years old, to feel the way I felt. I remember what it was like to, to go into my marriage to go into the ministry to become a father and how God was at every intersection of my life showing himself. And now here I am at 52 years old and I can't help but to sit back from time to time and just remember. And when I remember, it infuses me with energy, power, dunamis. I encourage myself through the remembrance of what God has done for me and there will be times in your life that there will be no one around you to encourage you, Jade, then you will have to remember what God has done for you. And you'll find that encouragement, Reuben, just welling up in you just by recalling the faithfulness of God. And He's saying to them, listen what's about to happen, and it's happening today. Remember this. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. (laughs) And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast, whether you live. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. This is what God has spoken to Moses. You know what Moses does? He summons everybody, the elders. You know what Moses does? Moses says, hey guys, I've got a word for the Lord. I've got a word for the Lord. Now after nine plagues, man, do you think they said, well let me check with the schedule to see if I can make it to the meeting." Remember, we were talking about meetings the other day. No, no, no. Moses, led by God, was calling the meeting. And you had to comply. And I believe at that moment when he summoned them, that's what the scripture, he summoned the elders. You know what he said? Hey, come on. Come on in. I've got word from the Lord. Man, you think they wasn't dropping stuff, Carl? Lightening the load to get there quicker? Man, you could, listen, I don't know that, that all, all these cats in, the, in, their, in their long attire was running, but I tell you what, if I knew that God was summonsing me with a word of direction from the lips of Moses, man, I'd have been the first one there. I'd have been tripping people. You know what I'm talking about? I'd have tri- push, I would have been fighting. It would have looked like Walmart on Black Friday. You know? What I'm, I'm telling you, I would have been there, man. And he summons these guys. And he summoned all the elders of Israel and he said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. God needs to see this. And you know, when, you know I'm telling you, mine would have been covered. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking, where's Jean? Jeanine Erickson? Is she up here or she downstairs? she downstairs? Listen, mine, it would have been ruby red color her car. Man, I mean, I'd have painted that thing up and down. You ain't missing me. I don't know. I may have been tempted to go to my neighbor's blood bucket. I might have. This is what it says. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. Now listen, the responsibility is to the father to take care of this. The lamb. the wife. You know the responsibility of the family? Was to trust him. Was to trust his trust in God. And you know what the wife, you know what the children did? They came in the doorway. You know why? Because the father's, the husband's, were trustworthy what a sad thing and proposition it would have been Reuben had your wife saw you painting the doorpost and said now nah, let me go over to that house I trust what he's doing for his family more than what you're doing for ours Wow. can you imagine a father stepping in his home he had done painted the doorpost with blood and he sees his family in the house of another man Who's a, a, a stronger leader, a man who trusted God more. Can you imagine the blow to the heart of a man who would have witnessed such a thing? I say to you and I, I don't want your family in my house under my blood. I want your family, my uh, dad's, un, under your care, in your house. I want your wife looking at you as the spiritual leader. As the responsible party, as one who would love them like Jesus and lay their lives down for them. Every man, I would say to you if your your wife is looking to another spiritual leader, another man to be the spiritual leader in their lives, for the sake of decency, reassess things, take some inventory. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. No, 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 no. Destroyer coming through. You know what that blood says? No trespassing. Destroyer. You know what the blood of Jesus does for you and I? When the destroyer comes for us, trying to destroy our lives, our relationships, our families we too should be saying in the name of Jesus by his blood, you're trespassing. (laughs) You're trespassing. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. And when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised. He didn't say if. He said, when, observe this ceremony, remember, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. When your children ask, what does this mean for you? And I'm reading this, Kevin, and the thought going through my mind was, am I giving my children anything to ask of me? Am I living my life out in such a manner, Kellen, that my children would even inquire, what does this mean? Dad, why do you do that? Dad, why do you love us the way you love us? (laughs) Why do you love mom the way you love mom? Why do you love God like you do, Dad? Why are things in our house the way they are? Why? Why are things like this? Are we giving them some substance to inquire of us why we do the things we do? We are the way we are. He said, when your children ask, tell them, this is what God has done. And we need to be providing our children such an influence in our homes that they're inquiring about us, Jess. Why is it? Why is it? Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And you know what happened? I'm going to read one verse. Or one, yes, two verses. This is what happens. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. When that first cry went out, And you heard it from a distance. A wailing. And then you heard the second. And then you heard the third and the fourth. And then it became a symphony of wailing. And it swept across Egypt, man, like a, like a storm. At that moment, Pharaoh, his officials, and all of Egypt knew this one truth. That the Hebrews had a God who loved them, who cared for them, who protected them, and who would fight for them. And that's what the wailing represented. And I can't even imagine what that sounded like. Dwelling through Egypt. A mother's whale. You know what I'm talking about? Like a primal scream. You know what I mean, Jim? That type of scream, man, that just comes from deep in there. Now there was a symphony of it. But the reality is that God had provided and had done what he said he was going to do. He said from the very beginning, the onset of this demonstration of his power, this is how this is going to shake out. And God was true. And on this day, and we pick this up, we pick this up next week, they live in Egypt, just like God said they would. But there was a provision made for them, right? Is that blood sacrifice? There's something beautiful in, in the scripture of many correlations to Jesus. One being this was the 14th day of, of Nisan, the first month of, of uh, the Jewish calendar. And most theologians, when you look into the crucifixion of Jesus, because it, there was a high Sabbath because that Sabbath takes place on Passover, there's a high Sabbath. As a matter of fact, when the women get to the tomb of Jesus, the scripture says they arrived after the Sabbath, meaning plural, meaning more than one. There was a regular Sabbath on a Friday, and then there's a high Sabbath. Most of us in the Eastern culture uh, like to think about Jesus being crucified on a Friday, right? In a Gregorian calendar, the way we measure time and so forth. But if you really look at it and the way the Jewish calendar plays out, there's a legitimate argument, and I think this is actually true, that it probably took place on a Thursday. You know what that Thursday was? The 14th of Nisan. The same day that that lamb was slain. God had said to them don't eat bread with leaven in it. It has a deteriorating factor, a destroying factor, a decaying factor. And then there's the prophetic word of the resurrection of Jesus. when the scripture says because he didn't have a deteriorating decaying factor, that being the leaven or yeast of sin, the scripture says that his body after crucified, would not see Decay, deterioration. That's the sacrifice that was made for you and me. It's Jesus. He is our lamb. He is the provision. He is what covers us. It's what God is looking for in our lives. So when he comes, it isn't the blood over the doorpost. It's the blood over our hearts. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask the elders to come. And I will say this to you guys, and you know, you know, we got this sweet divine irony that takes place here at the church from time to time. You know, when things just kind of line up, and you're like, we didn't plan that, it just happened. Last week we were going to do communion. We like to do communion on the first Sunday of each month. We like to do communion. And we had the opportunity last week to uh, dedicate a, a couple of stinky babies. You remember those stinky babies up here. So when we were dedicating these little stinky babies, we decided let's just push communion back one week. We'll do it next week. No premeditation in the sense of trying to get it to work out. It's just here, Jim. We're taking communion this morning. We're recognizing the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus, that is without leaven or sin and we're consuming it, that it might cover our own being, Michael, and the thing God is looking for, it might be found in us. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to start. You guys know how this works? If you're a visitor, let me say this to you. You're a visitor to this church, but if you know Jesus, you belong to the church. And you're entitled and you're invited to take communion with us this morning. I don't care if you're a covenant member here or not. What does that matter? If you're in covenant with Jesus, that's all that matters. So I say to you, uh, visitor this morning, uh, you ain't ain't really a visitor. (laughs) Yeah, you're not. So what we're going to do, we're going to start on the outside. You guys know how this works.